Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. I was explaining the power struggle that exists between God and the devil. There were two parts to this power struggle that I was describing in the previous message. The first part was with regards to the devil's desire to try to be like God, that this was a decision that he made in order to function outside of the boundaries that God created the devil to function within. In doing this, he became dysfunctional, and that has been well displayed by the devil ever since. The second part had to do with the temptation that I believe the devil experienced when God created humanity. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them to be a reflection of him. That's the definition of that word, the image of God. When he created Adam and Eve to be in his image, he created them to be a reflection of who he is. And that was possible through the spiritual connection between the Spirit of God and the spirit of humanity. The devil could find that to be a temptation because him being a spiritual being, there was the opinion or the belief that he would be able to be a replacement for God in our lives. Therefore, he could use us in order to reflect himself from us. And in that way, he could be like God. He could be our God in that respect. So those were the two parts that I was referring to in the previous message. I spent a lot of time talking about those things. That the devil decided that he would be like God. He could do that independently through the knowledge of good and evil. And he could also do that by being a God to the people who God created. By us depending and trusting and relying on him as we were designed to do so towards the true and living God. But if we were to reject the true and living God and turn to him as if he is our God, then he could function as a God, or at least this was the belief that apparently he had. And in a way, he has become the God of this world. So from a certain point of view, you could certainly say that he has accomplished that. But this is still highly dysfunctional and destructive, and there has been this power struggle that has existed between God and the devil in a sense of who really is going to be God or who is going to be like God. Now, there is the appearance that there is an element of sincerity involved, that the devil decided that he wanted to become greater than who he was. You could say that this was an act or an experience of sincerity, that he sincerely believed that he could become greater than who he was, And how he was going to accomplish that was through the knowledge of good and evil. If he knew what was good, he could do that which is good and not do that which is evil. And so by his own independence, by his own design, by his own desire, he could become like God. And this was the promise that was also presented to Adam and Eve, 
that if they only knew what was good and evil, then they also could be like God. And so I want you to understand that there is an element of sincerity involved in the sense that a person decides that they want to become good. They want to become greater than who they are. Now, of course, this is going to be outside of the boundaries of our design. And so, again, we are going to become dysfunctional and the result will not be Good. The result will be bad. It will be evil. Therefore, there is the propagation and the increase of sin, dysfunction, evil. Those kinds of things happen by default, regardless of how sincere a person may be. Now, here in this world with humanity, there is some competition that does kind of exist between two major groups of people. The first group of people are the religious, those who do live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil. They live according to a system of law, a standard of right and wrong, good and evil. And the desire of the religious person in general is to live a holy life, to do that which is good and not do that which is evil. A simple way to describe this is to say that they are living a life in accordance with the restraint of the flesh. But then there are the non-religious people, and the non-religious people will tend to live for the indulgence of the flesh. This tends to be the competition between the religious and the non-religious on the basis of, are we going to live by the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh? The religious will live by a system of law. The non-religious will also live by a system of law. All you have to do is just hang around a person like that for a while, and eventually you're going to hear them say something that sounds like, well, now that is wrong or that is good. They have their own system of law. They define that for themselves in general, and they will compare themselves with other people according to their own standard. They're still going to be recognized as a person who lives for the indulgence of the flesh because even though they might restrain themselves on occasion, they will still engage in activities and make decisions that are contrary to the law of God. So this will keep them separated from the religious even though they have their own system of law anyway. But the competition that exists between the two groups has to do with them comparing each other with one another. The religious will compare themselves with the non-religious and they will say, look at those non-religious people. They live for the indulgence of the flesh, those wicked, evil people. They are not like us who live by the law of God. We are not like them. We live a holy life. We try to restrain our flesh. We do not engage in a bunch of sins. And even though we're not perfect, we're not like God. At least we're better than those people. So as long as the religious person has the non-religious person to compare themselves with, well, they can function in their lives and they can live their lives and feel pretty good about themselves and say that they're close enough to being like God. The non-religious person, however, will look at the religious person and they will say, you know what? You're a hypocrite. You're pretending to be somebody that you're not because you are not as good as you think you are. The non-religious person can sometimes be a little bit more honest than the religious person in the sense that they'll call sin what it is. And yes, they will decide that they will engage in some of it themselves, but at least they're upfront and honest about it. They don't keep it a secret and they don't pretend like it's not happening like a lot of the religious people will tend to do. 
And so this becomes the competition. It becomes a competition between these two groups of people in this world, and this becomes the form of power struggle that will exist in a lot of people's lives. The power struggle of are you going to live for the indulgence of the flesh or for the restraint of the flesh, or maybe some combination of the two. But this is how people will tend to live their lives, and this is what will define a lot of the struggles and conflicts that people experience within themselves internally and also with relationships that they have. But at the end of the previous message, I did say that there is another way of life, and there is. The other way of life has to do with living by the inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus. That is a completely different way of life. Because in this way of life, you are not living by either the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh. You are living in accordance with what you have in Christ Jesus. Things like the love of God, the acceptance of God, meaning and understanding as we are able to see the world and see circumstances and understand things through his eyes. Purpose through our relationship with God as he defines for us the kinds of things that he may invite us to participate in, and also through pursuing a life of peace and rest. Things like that can define our purpose in our lives. And these things have nothing to do with the knowledge of good and evil or what is right and wrong, what system of law are we going to live by or not. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with a living experience with another person. And this person is our God, our creator, the one who defined all things. Through a personal relationship with our God, he will meet the deepest needs of our hearts and give to us all that we need for life and godliness to be able to engage this world and live our lives with peace and joy and happiness and all those things that we do have a deep desire for within our spirit. From a religious point of view, people are living their lives of repentance and obedience in order to try and obtain some sense of love and acceptance from their God. That's the way of life of the religious person, the way of life of the restraint of the flesh. You do so according to his standard, in this case the standard that was given through the Mosaic Law, God's contribution to man's greatest effort to try to be like him through the knowledge of good and evil, which of course didn't work out for anyone, but people will still pursue that, believing that when they succeed, they will be loved and accepted by their God and, of course, blessed in various ways that are described as blessings for the flesh. But to live by the inheritance means that we are given his love and acceptance, not because of what we do or don't do, but because of what he has done for us. That becomes a completely different way of life. So the religious person lives for the restraint of the flesh, the non-religious person lives for the indulgence of the flesh, but the child of God lives according to the inheritance that they have already been given. And we have been given this inheritance because we have been made into a child of God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who has resurrected us from the dead. So we have been made into a living person 
through the gospel, whereas the religious person is still trying to live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil that was suggested to Adam and Eve by the devil that resulted in their spiritual death. This is something that was presented through the law, that the wages of sin is death. In that abstraction, what that means is, is that if you think that you're going to become spiritually alive through your repentance and obedience, it simply is not going to happen. You're going to remain in a condition of spiritual death if you pursue that outside of the resurrection through the new covenant. But, of course, even those who are resurrected through the new covenant can be preoccupied with the life of living by the law, the restraint of the flesh, and not ever discover or grow in the inheritance that they have received. And so even though a person can be born again by the Spirit, they can, of course, still live a highly dysfunctional life because they are not living in accordance with what they have. Instead, they will continue to live hoping that they will get something from God through their repentance and obedience. They live a religious life hoping that they will eventually be blessed in return, is how this is normally advertised. Now, in the previous message, I also mentioned that the power struggle was solved through the resurrection of Jesus, that that's how this power struggle was effectively resolved. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When he did that, when he resurrected Jesus from the dead, he asserted that the creation of life is greater than anything that the devil or any of his demons or any of the principalities and powers and mights and dominions, whatever they may be, the power of the creation of life and of resurrection will always be greater than any of the destructive capacity that the devil or his demons may or may not have. And so this was how God resolved the power struggle was to show that, yes, while the devil can do all kinds of things in order to pretend to be like God, either independently or through how he affects other people who are of humanity here on this planet, no matter what he does, he is not going to be able to participate in the creation of life. And when God resurrected Jesus from the dead, he asserted, that no matter what the devil may participate in, in terms of destructive capacity, God can always overrule that through the creation of life and through the power of the resurrection. Now, when God saved us and when he resurrected us from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, he did so after he resolved the problem of sin. He died for the sins of the world, therefore... The sin issue between God and humanity has been resolved. That was how he resolved the issue of sin. And he did that so that when he resurrects us from the dead, there will be no sin that we could ever commit that could cause us to lose the Holy Spirit again like Adam and Eve did when they violated the law of God, when they sinned, when they rejected their God. So when God resurrected Jesus from the dead and he invoked the new covenant and he resolved the issue of sin, when he resurrects us from the dead, 
then there is no way for us to die spiritually ever again. Therefore, the power struggle between God and the devil was resolved. When God created Adam and Eve, the devil could participate in their lives to cause a spiritual death. But with regards to the new creations in Christ Jesus, the children of God, he can't do that. He doesn't have the power to kill a believer in Jesus ever. This is how God solved the power struggle or the conflict of the power struggle between himself and the devil. And he asserted this by establishing Jesus as being above all things and all persons throughout the universe. And we will see shortly into Ephesians chapter 2 that he also set us up together with him. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so I'll talk about that later when I get to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. But with regards to this power struggle over the subject of good and evil, do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? Remember, this can be a life of either the restraint of the flesh or the indulgence of the flesh. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul refers to both ways of life, both the life of the indulgence of the flesh and also the way of life of the restraint of the flesh, and that neither one of those ways of life is a way to live. Neither one of them is a way to live. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, for example, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And I'll come back to this issue of life and death in just a moment. But moving on into verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What is he referring to? He's referring to the trespasses and sins. So in verse 2, he exaggerates the point that, of course, the prince of the power of the air and all the demons, of course, are working in the context of trespasses and sins, those things that are evil. And this is the part of the knowledge of good and evil that is evil. The devil functions within evil, and he can engage in evil. Even though there may be some sincerity about the devil or the demons or even people trying to do that which is good, when they fail, by default, they engage in evil and trespasses and sins. And so no matter how sincere a person may be as a religious person or even as a demonic spirit of trying to do that which is good, there will be failure. There will be dysfunction. And the failure, even in the midst of sincerity, does not mean that that is an expression of good. It is, by default, an expression of evil. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, kind of fits into the category of those who live for the indulgence of the flesh, either intentionally or unintentionally, whether they're trying to do that which is good or not, it really doesn't matter because the end result will still be the same. It will be failure, it will be sin, it will be trespasses. That will fit into the category of the indulgence of the flesh. But reading down a little bit more, going down to verses 8 and 9, he refers to those people who try to live 
for the restraint of the flesh. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, not of that which is good. That is a reference to living your life in accordance with the restraint of the flesh. And so we can see both parts here described in Ephesians chapter 2, both parts as in the first part being the restraint of the flesh, the second part being the indulgence of the flesh. The point is, is that it's still living by the flesh and that there is another way of life entirely. This way of life has to do with being made spiritually alive and living with what you have been given in the inheritance that we have received as children of God. That is the third way of life. The first two are the restraint and indulgence of the flesh. And the third way is to live in accordance with the inheritance that you have received. And this is possible because you have been made into a new creation. You have been made alive in Christ Jesus. So going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is a follow-up to the end of Ephesians chapter 1, when he made Christ Jesus alive through the resurrection. Then he makes you alive through resurrection. It is the creation of life that resolves this power struggle between God and the devil and also between God and humanity. And so this needs to be the focus that we have as children of God is to understand that we have a God who is involved in the creation of life continually here on earth. And in this case, it is the creation of life through people believing the truth of the gospel and being made spiritually alive by their God when he resurrects them from the dead through dwelling within their spirits because they have decided that they want to know their God, that they want to be a child of God, that they want to be resurrected from the dead. And our God invites us as his children also to participate in this work by telling others about him, by being a testimony of who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he may do in the future for people on a personal level. We get to participate in the creation of life, whereas the religious person doesn't really get to participate in the creation of life so much because they're too occupied with trying to get their flesh under control. The life of a religious person, one who lives by the law, is a life of restraining the flesh, trying to live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil by doing that which is good and not doing that which is evil. But that has nothing to do with the creation of life. Instead, through the failure that people experience, they experience an increase in death in an abstract way. So what I want you to understand through what I've described here in this transition between Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that our emphasis needs to remain on the issue of being made alive and now living with what we have in Christ Jesus and being participants in the work of God, which is the creation of life through new people believing in him. And I will continue into chapter 2 in the next program.
You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,